1: This is Tony LeGrecker, and this is The Courage to Hope. And tonight we have a real nice guest, very interesting fellow named Dan Schneider. And if you watch Netflix, you may know him as The Pharmacist. We've had Dan on about a year ago, and now he's back because we finally passed a bill in the, in the U.S. Senate and House and signed by Joe Biden already. So it went into effect as of December 23rd. And we call it <clears throat> Matt, MAT, but Dan go ahead and give us your description and tell us what you know about this right now. Sure, sure.
0: Uh it, actually we passed two two bills and it was part of a larger mental health bill. So uh, uh with the president's budget there's a uh, money allocated toward mental health, okay? But also the MAT Act, okay, eliminated the X-waiver, but X-waiver required physicians in addition to having a DEA license to get like another uh category, uh, an X waiver, before they could actually write. So many doctors really weren't, didn't go through the motions of doing that because it was sort of complex. Let's
1: let's, let's go a little slower so people understand what we're talking about because okay. it, is, it can be confusing. Yes. So MAT stands for medically assisted treatment. Absolutely. MAT stands for medically-assisted treatment, and that can be uh, uh, the
0: opioid-based ones, which is like methadone, which only can be gotten from a clinic, uh, buprenorphine, uh, suboxone, sublocate, or drugs that can be gotten by a doctor, from a doctor, written by a doctor, gotten fr- from a pharmacy, outpatient. patient, okay? And there's another drug called Vivitrol, and there's a few other drugs. Uh, Vivitrol is a right. non-opioid-based all these drugs try to help assist a person in their recovery or in their treatment. And so uh, uh, the, I've been advocating that MAT, number one, I, 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 I want to say that maybe, I actually almost think it's the best treatment, but but if it's not the best treatment, it's just about equally as good as some of the many treatments like 30-, 60-, 90-day treatments that, that people go into. And don't get me wrong, if you can afford that type of treatment, or if a Dr. Phil sends you someplace and you go through 30, 60, 90-day treatment, uh, maybe you even have a little bit better chance at success. Okay. But most people can't afford to take 30 or 60 or 90 days out of their lives, nor can they afford the cost of doing that. Our government just about can't afford. It. We want treatment for all oh, they can't just about afford it. So MAT is something where a doctor can prescribe a medication, okay? it kind of regulates the brain, the dopamine levels. Uh, drugs cause dopamine levels and changes in the brain. And the people become depressed and they have withdrawal symptoms and they, and they, they crave these drugs, okay, with the changes in their brain. Well, when they take these MAT, medically-assisted treatment drugs, like Suboxone and Sublocate and buprenorphine, it, it calms the brain down. It, it allows them not to be as depressed. It, it removes cravings. It removes withdrawals. Okay, and it kind of fills the gap, but it doesn't give them a high like the existing drug. So if, they, if they're only looking for a high, okay, this is not the drug of choice. Okay, but if they're looking for a way to get out of that wheelie in that the, uh, where, where they are drug seeking constantly, and they if they don't get the drug, they get sick. These drugs fill that gap, and we're finding that a lot of people that will get on these drugs, okay, they live, okay, and they start functioning. And sometimes they even get additional psychological support and further treatments because their brain calms down and they can function. Okay. Now the problem has been, we have known for a number of years that this is a pretty good treatment. There was a lot of stigma to it because it was kind of like uh, swapping one drug for another drug. One of the phrases that, that a lot of people used to say, it's like changing the chairs on the Titanic. You're still sinking. Well, We've reevaluated that thought, okay? We now call addiction a disease. It has changed the brain chemistry. This drug heals the brain chemistry, okay? And helps you into treatment and recovery. The, the next problem with MAT is the DEA treats it, unfortunately, almost like any other opioid, even though it's called a partial opioid partial or agonist it's not a full- bred opioid but it is an opioid people do actually and we have to be honest people become dependent on it we don't call it addicted because when you're addicted usually you're constantly drug seeking and you're uh, looking in the streets on a drug and uh, you do crazy things well people that get this by prescription from a doctor they don't act like addicted people even though they even though if they stop that thing abruptly they might go into withdrawals okay, which is where the stigma comes in that, well, they they still addicted, okay, they're not addicted, but they are dependent on these drugs for a while. Now, they can eventually come off of them. But getting back to the main story about these new laws, okay, one of the things we really believe that with the overdose deaths right now being over 100,000, and the poisonous fentanyl drug supply out there, okay, and and, in traditional treatment, they always speak of a traditional treatment of being 30, 60, or 90 days outpatient, I mean inpatient, and they they, they speak of it as you, you're guaranteed to relapse. Relapse is a part of recovery. Everybody speaks as though relapse is a part of recovery, okay? The problem nowadays is when they relapse and they go to these dangerous drugs, more of them are dying. It's always been a case when they relapse, some die, but now a lot of them are dying because fentanyl is so poisonous. Well, when you're on MAT drugs, if your treatment becomes MAT drugs, M-A-T, Suboxone, uh, Buprenorphine, when these draw, these block those serious opioids. Number one, even if you took those serious opioids while you're taking it, it would not affect you, so you would not die, okay? Also, these drugs like Suboxone, you can't overdose and die on them, okay? But they do relieve cravings and withdrawals, and they help regulate your brain. Now, why isn't everybody taken? okay? Well, again, the DEA, it's a shame to say it, and public stigma and other stigma has has been a barrier. But the DEA also looks like it's an opioid because there is some belief that some people can find a way to abuse anything, okay? Now, what we say when uh, when uh, buprenorphine and suboxone are, are diverted It's usually because somebody on the street wants to take it, not to get a high. They want to take it so they don't have to take fentanyl or poisonous drugs. So we really think you should de-emphasize what we call diversion. Diversion with these kind of drugs saves lives. But again, we kind of get back to the the MAT Act. Doctors, it was restricted to only a few doctors who would go through the extra uh, imposition of getting what they call an X waiver. They had to jump through some hoops to get this thing. And they were kind of stigmatized as, it's a shame it shouldn't be a stigma, but they were stigmatized as addiction doctors, okay? And and, and very few regular doctors that had a regular practice for uh, blood pressure and antibiotics, very few of those doctors food with this. So you you got a smaller group of doctors that went into this with addiction, which to me isn't a a bad thing, but it kind of stigmatized those group of people and it limited those group of people. And with all the other barriers and stigma out there, they say less than 10% of the people who could use MAT, okay, were actually getting it. So we have fought over the last couple of years to get um, Matt mainstream. To eliminate the ex waiver, where any doctor that has a DEA license can prescribe suboxone, it's our hope that there are regular doctors out there, and we still got some barriers to get over, some hurdles. We got to do some education. We got to motivate incentivize. We open some regular doctors now who, who who treat regular patients for all kind of ailments. They work that into their practice almost like they treat in high blood pressure. So some of their patients might be people that are addicted to opioids, had opioid use disorder. And those doctors will be able to write if they have a DEA license now. So now all of a sudden from a a small 1% or 2% of doctors who were eligible to write Suboxone, now all of a sudden 70%, any doctor that's got a DEA license can write it. Now that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to write it. We still got to do
1: some work, but legally they can. Okay. Now, they so what, what I, is it, Dan? What is a DEA license? What is they, <clears throat> that different from a regular physician's license?
0: I'm glad you asked that. I'm sorry. I'm sometimes I
1: take for granted people understand. All these, <clears throat> the, a,
0: a, <clears throat> a DEA license is this: uh, if a doctor only writes uh, for. Uh, uh, Regular drugs like high blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, heart medications, antibiotics, okay? And a patient comes in and, 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 and maybe they uh, uh, fell on their shoulder and their shoulder hurt, okay? Well, if they don't have a DA license, they can't write a, a narcotic drug, okay? They have to register with the DA to be able to write it. Now, some doctors become pain doctors, and their primary drug that they write is that. But there are many doctors who want to have the ability to occasionally write a cough syrup. See, that there are cough syrups out there that have a little bit of a narcotic in it, okay, which means these drugs have some, maybe a small percentage, that they can be abused, or that people become dependent on it. Even regular cough syrups with, like, codeine in it. Okay, which is a very good cough you to stop coughs. Okay, they have to have a DEA license. So many doctors usually keep a DEA license for the instances when they want to write it. Now they may not write a lot of narcotics because you know, with the, with the, 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 the situation out there now that we overriding narcotics, uh, they're very prudent when they write it, but they are able to. Okay? Now, so most doctors have had DEA license which allows them to write narcotic drugs. Uh, pain medication, uh, cough syrups, uh, there's other drugs that uh, the DEA requires. Now, 70 to 80% of all doctors actually wrote for that, but maybe only 2 or 3% were able to write addiction medicine. And we, we always thought that was unfair because a doctor could write for OxyContin. Everybody knows oxycon. It's got a bad name now, okay? that uh, It led to the opioid epidemic. People become uh, addicted to it, that people overdose and die from it, okay? And now uh, it, it's not as prevalent because fentanyl is kind of taken over, but people used to die a lot for prescription opioids, okay? Doctors still write prescription opioids, many times for legitimate purposes, okay? There's still a few doctors out there, There there's still a few pill mill doctors left, they're much less of them, okay? But there are some that overwrite opioids. They had no restrictions. But if they were gonna write for addiction medicine, there were restrictions on them. And we always said, well, that ain't right. I mean, shouldn't they be able to write for an addiction medicine? just as easily as they could write for a pain medicine like OxyContin. I mean, it was easier for people to get OxyContin than it was for them to get Suboxone, which is a treatment, which can regulate their brain and allow them to normally function and not be intoxicated, not have a high. So now we finally have it down to where all doctors with DEA licenses uh, can, 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 can write for this. Now, again, we have work cut out to convince these doctors To start writing it because if we can get him to start writing it then addiction will become in many cases almost like if you have high blood pressure it becomes a condition or a disease that's treatable and these medications do treat and and, and so and look i'll be the first one to say these medications don't work for everybody Uh, some people can do better on a 30-day outpatient but the statistics, on it's kind of sad, I hate to even say this. The statistics for, for normal treatments, okay, where a person goes away for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, the success ratio was about one-third of them succeed. And many times they've had relapses, and hopefully they live through those relapses. Maybe they eventually recover, one-third. Well, the statistic on MAT is also about one-third. Now, we think that can get better, okay, but it's about one-third. So you, you hate to say it, everything you do, two-thirds people don't, it doesn't work for them. But remember, only 10% of the people who need MAT can get it, and it's been hard for them to get. Now, with this new MAT thing, where every, every doctor, and we do believe we're going to be working on reducing the barriers and get the DEA to back off and start treating it like a regular drug, okay, like an addiction drug. We can get them off the backs so of the pharmacists and the doctors, okay, and we get more doctors writing this. And so then what will happen is if you get five well, times as many people taking it, and even only one third of them succeed completely, okay, and I hope we can do better than that, okay. We will have a lot more people getting well and in recovery and not seeking fentanyl on the street and not dying abruptly and maybe raising their kids. I'll I'll give you an example. When I first evolved into promoting MAT, I called up a pharmacist friend of mine that's about my age and retired. And I asked him, I said, what do you think about Matt? Because many years ago, me and him practiced together and we had mixed feelings on MAT. We, 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 you know, so, so maybe for some people, but I don't know. It's kind of like swapping drugs, the, the old time thinking. And I, I asked him, well, what did you do? He says, well, you know, in the past, he said, I used to get aggravated because these people were supposed to go to treatment in addition to taking the medicine. And I talked to some of them and they weren't, they weren't following through on all this kind of stuff. But I got aggravated, I almost tried to cut them off or I almost called up that doctor and said, we well, ought to stop doing this. He said, thank God I didn't. He said, because, you know, as as time went by, these people were regular patients. I found out they were working. He says, I went to a baseball game uh, where my grandkids are playing. okay, and the coaches were some of the patients that was on MAT. In other words, these people, instead of becoming addicts and drug seeking and losing their families and losing their jobs, they can work while they on these medicines. That is a form of recovery. And maybe somewhere down the road, they wean themselves off of it, but it might take a while to get off of it, okay? But we believe with overdose deaths as high as they are, if we could get a third of the country taking these drugs and and one third succeeded on getting off, we would cut the demand for fentanyl. And we could probably cut overdose deaths by a third. Now, now granted, I hate to say it, there was a time when I said 60,000 overdose deaths was horrible. But now we had 100000 So if we could get them back down to 60000 I think we can do that with MAT. Now, let me go a little bit further with MAT. So the federal government now has said, we're gonna treat this more like regular drugs that are controlled by the DEA. So any doctor with a DEA license can write it. Hopefully that expands the amount of doctors that are gonna get involved in this, and a lot more patients will they won't have to go to just a so-called addiction doctor maybe they may be able to go to their general practitioner okay and and so it opens up where people don't have the stigma and and they may be willing to try to use these drugs to help them get off of their addiction now there is a little stipulation in this thing and and, and there are some people say that this might limit some doctors and it may but there's something called the MATE Act that goes along with the MAT Act. And basically what it is, it's MATE Education, MATE, M-A-T-E, MATE Education. There is a requirement now, although you, all you need is a DEA license. Now what they're requiring is for you to get your DEA license, there was a few things you had to go through. But now to add it in, eight hours of education is required. So all doctors with DEA license, now there may be a few doctors here, say, I don't even want to fool with that, okay? But we still believe the majority of doctors will stick with this. And what it does is it, it causes them to be a little more educated on addiction. It also causes them to be educated on what MAT drugs are. And the fact that they're not just another opioid, that they are real treatment. So between these two acts and an emphasis on mental health, We believe this is a start uh, uh, in a way to get a a lot of people more treatment and more help, where we can reduce the amount of people that lives are controlled by unfortunately street drugs and and, and, and they're constantly chasing drugs. We can get them into actual treatment. Doctors can write these prescriptions, pharmacists can fill them. We believe we can get this now more widespread, more people treated. And instead of only 10% of people receiving treatment, maybe we can get it to 30 or 40 or 50 or 60%, and we can see those overdose deaths go down. So maybe
1: you got another question, but that's an overview. I have a question, yes. The education factor with the mate. Um, Who's going to do the education? The thing that I heard, I was at a group meeting last night, and one of the biggest worries we have is that the pharmaceutical industry is going to have some sort of a control or some sort of say in the educational factor. So, how do you get a, a neutral educator right. involved so that we don't have this controversy?
0: You, you know, I wish I had a specific answer for you. Okay, I don't as yet. You know, I just discovered that Matt and Matt, Matt Axe made axe just recently, but I do know there's already discussions on that. Okay, and I do believe we've learned some lessons. I don't believe we're going to let the industry control the education. Now, that means people get involved because people are going to make a little money uh, on this. That's going to aggravate a few doctors. It's going to be a little fee that they got to pay for this 8 hours, unless it's offered for free. Now, the problem with that is sometimes these drug companies will offer it for free. But, but I'm pretty sure the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, is going to oversee this because if they if they open the gates now for for more of of this to be written, okay, I think they want to know that these doctors know what they're doing, and I think they don't want uh, it being painted uh, in in a bad way. I, I, in fairness, too, I will say this: this is a little bit different than than OxyContin and the Purdue Pharma thing that we battled so much with. Okay, yeah, there were drug companies that got involved in education, and they tried to teach the pharmacists and the doctors, oh, well, Jesus, um, Oxycontin is great. It's not addictive, okay? But in reality, it was addictive, and in reality, it caused deaths. It was a dangerous drug. The difference with the uh, MAT drugs, MAT drugs, okay, is they're really not addictive. They do cause dependency, but they don't cause a high. The, the, in other words, the people that wanted OxyContin, many times they wanted it to get a high, and then they would start losing control. And then if that wasn't enough, they would go to heroin. Okay. When you're on this drug, it doesn't cause you to accelerate. And there is nobody, there is nobody out there that wants to take these drugs to get high because it doesn't give a high. Okay. So- there's less danger that this can be abused or misused or miseducated. Okay. I don't know. And, and I, I'd have to rethink this and, and study it, but I don't think we can have happened with this. And, and I believe, I believe there are some fears that something could go wrong with this. Okay. But, but I think, I don't think it's, it, it's a different type of drug. It's a much safer drug. You, you, it's almost impossible to overdose and die on this thing. It doesn't give a high, So you're not gonna start creating new addicts, okay? And so I I don't have the exact answer for you on education, but I I do believe it it can't be misused. And I do believe the DEA will keep a good eye on it. And people like advocates like myself and other people who advocated for that, we're gonna want the doctors to get the training that they need. Now we do believe in it. So we believe that they gotta get more patients on this, okay? And in the past, It was kind of like some doctors would do this, but they only wanted these people to use it very short term. And what we found is it takes two or three years for the brain to heal. Okay, so so with mad drugs now, it's almost like we think everybody should take this for at least two or three years. There's no way they should be pushed for two or three years to get off. And maybe, maybe never be pushed to get off. But maybe after two or three years, if they don't want to have to worry about going to a doctor and a pharmacist and staying on a drug, if they want to wean themselves off, they're always to wean them off. And so, so we but we're looking at it as more of a long-term
1: thing, not a short-term thing. Any other questions? Yes, uh, yeah. Um, I'd say if I'm an addict, I obviously probably don't have health insurance. Um, how does this drug get paid for? If I'm if I'm going into the doctor's office now, know what who's paying for this? We have some pretty good news
0: on that. Okay, it's not extremely expensive. So anybody on Medicaid, and, okay, and even I think Medicare, it is covered. Now, some of the doctors complain they're not getting paid enough, and I want to try to do something to help them get paid better, so that they're more encouraged to write this and participate. Okay. Uh, but the doctors do get paid, so in many cases, they can go to a doctor for free, okay? Now, if they don't qualify now, and remember, many states have expanded Medicare. You know, one of the pluses, whether you hate Obamacare or not, one of the pluses was a lot of the states expanded Medicare where middle-income people, not just extremely poor people, but middle-income people, okay, not rich people, but middle-income people could get this. Now, there is still a gap. There's still a few people that maybe don't have that, that make good money and don't have uh, uh, uh insurance that covers it. By the way, some insurances cover it, some uh some work insurances do cover it, okay? But there is a gap, but that's mostly for people that are making enough money that they should be able to pay for this. Now, the cost on this is you know maybe uh, a uh, between a hundred and a two hundred dollar doctor's visit, and then for the medication, if you had to pay for it without insurance maybe $100 a month for the medication. Now, that may sound like, well, they gotta spend two or $300 a month on this, okay? Remember, most of the time it's taken care of by Medicare or insurance. But in the cases where it is, and if they had to pay the 300 a month, if they're doing street drugs, let me just tell you, they're paying way more than $300 a month, okay? And if they're making good money and they wanna live a straight life and they don't wanna have to chase drugs and spend more money on the street, then this drug is still a viable option. But let me tell you what Dan Schneider is trying to do and I'm trying to motivate others to do. I want no one to have to pay for this. I believe this is something where just like with COVID, uh, the the federal government picked up the tab on all vaccines, okay? They picked up the tab if you went into the hospital for treatment for COVID. They picked up the tags on, on all the medications that were treated for COVID, okay? We got such an emergency crisis out there where we're losing 100,000 people in overdose deaths, and most of those people are young and they got families, and we now we got foster care problems and such, okay? We ought to be able to provide treatment for free for all of them. And if the government has to pay for it, I think they can, and it's manageable. It's not like trying to give everybody 30 or 60 or 90-day treatment. 30 or 60 or 90-day treatment, traditional treatment, can cost $100,000, Okay? Whereas Matt might cost 300 a month. We can afford 300 a month for three years or for a year. Uh, uh, even, you know, get them started for a year. And after they get themselves regulated, then maybe they have to pay part of it or all of it, okay? The other thing we have going for us right now is there's opioid settlement money coming in, okay? And I believe a lot of that money can go to fund that. So I'm advocating and trying to get people out there in their communities, speak up. fight like to get We got this new law now that allows more doctors to do this. Now let's make sure we take care of the other thing that you just asked about. Let's make sure everybody can get this for free. That way, anybody that wants treatment, they don't have to go away for 30 days. They got to go to a doctor. They got to be evaluated a little bit. The doctor may encourage them to do a little bit of therapy, go to an AA meeting or something like that. Okay? But it may not be mandatory. It may not have to be mandatory. they can get a version of treatment, and, 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 and whether you agree that it's the best kind of treatment, okay, most people are getting no treatment. And they take in street drugs and they die, and that's why we hear about so many deaths. If we can get them into this type of treatment program, and it's free, and I think there's an extra plus to this thing too. Extra plus is this, everybody is concerned about the border, and, and fentanyl coming in at the border, okay. Unfortunately, most of the fentanyl comes in at points of entry, and I hate to say it by American citizens. I'm sure comes, some comes in at the legal parts of the border also, okay? But enough comes in at points of entry. But th- the problem that we really have is if there wasn't a demand for these drugs, then they wouldn't come in. And we have so many people out there addicted and are taking fentanyl either knowingly or unknowingly that there's a tremendous demand. In some kind of way, it finds its way into our country because of money, greed. And many times, it's even Americans participating with the Mexicans, okay, to make sure it happens. Now, if we can get MAT, more doctors prescribing it, free for everybody, okay, a lot of these people that are taking these drugs on the street may say, well, you know what, if I can get this for free, and it's treatment, and I won't have cravings, you know, they might decide to take MAT and stop buying the fentanyl. When they stop buying the fentanyl, demand goes down. And then there's less, the cartels get less money. And so all of a sudden now, you're solving two problems. You're solving a demand problem, but you're also reducing supply. So it's, you know, I, I am sold on it. Not everybody's sold on it. It's a little controversial. And what I tell the naysayers on this, okay, or the people that wonder whether or not this really could be that successful, I said, let's try it. Let's get it in motion. Let's do it for a year, two years, three years. Let's evaluate it. If it doesn't significantly reduce the addiction problem, need the opioid crisis, if it doesn't significantly reduce it, why don't we go back to plan B? OK, because let me just tell you, they have been working with traditional treatments and traditional recoveries now for the past 20 years. Where has it gotten us? OK, and we haven't actually full fledged went into M.A.T. Okay. Our government, by the way, Samsha, and many of our government, agencies, they support this. But when I say they support this, they kind of like talk about two sides of their mouth. They support it, but they really don't promote it. And this has to be promoted for it to actually get widespread. Well,
1: yeah, you know, I was going to say it was signed on December third by the president, and there wasn't, in my view, there wasn't one news agency—CNN, MSNBC, Fox—not one of them even mentioned it. I, I, I know. And I Look, was surprised. Uh, and I'm going to work on
0: that because I'm a one man operation, but I'm encouraging everybody that's involved with me on this to work on that some kind of way, because let me tell you, changing the law by itself is is going to help some, but if it doesn't get known to the public and to the other leaders and, and, and to the doctors, okay, then it's not going to make a big impact. And, and so assuming I'm right, and if we could get this out there, in mass, and it truly started to reduce the problem, which we've almost never been able to reduce the problem. It gets worse every year. Okay, uh, We have to make this known, and it has to be promoted. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to encourage others to do that. Just yesterday, I went on local TV, and I basically gave this argument on local TV. Probably the first time my people in my local community even found out about MAT. Okay, And so, I'm doing my best in my semi-retired 72-year-old age, okay, uh, to to make this out of forefront. And I'm trying to encourage others around the country to do so. I will tell you and your witness leaders, obviously, you know, I'd like it if they haven't seen The Pharmacist on Netflix, go watch it. But also there's a show on, uh, on Dope Sick on Hulu. And Dope Sick is a very big, it's kind of an offshoot of my, my story, okay? And in it, they talk about MAT, and they show you the advantages of that. And that's what we really need. We need the public to see that this MAT works, because it, it's been around now for about 20 years. But it's been stigmatized that it ain't real treatment. But it is. It's a complex story of how it got to be that way, okay? Okay. And it, it could be that at one time regular treatment maybe had an edge, okay? But now with poison spent and a regular treatment doesn't have an edge. People who relapse on regular treatment. They openly admit that, and they die. They don't relapse on Matt. Now, don't run. they can stop taking Matt, okay? Okay, but they know if they stop taking it, they got to go back to that street truck. And while they're taking it, they don't have the cravings. So if they if they put... A, a little bit of effort into this,
1: they can stay off of drugs and not live an addicted life. Yeah, I was going to say in the in the past, though, you say that Matt's been around. Didn't the doctors have a limit to how many patients they could actually give Suboxone yeah. to? It was like two patients. It was some I, silly. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, a part of the MAC Act. Not only did they have to have a special license to dispense it. Okay but they were limited in the number of patients that they could write. Okay. I don't even know the exact numbers. There was more than two patients. Okay. But it might've been 30 patients. Okay. Um, but they, they were very limited. Okay. And that frustrated some doctors who decided to to say, well, I think this is good. I want to run a clinic, but they needed more than 30 patients to make a living. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now there's no limit. So part of the MAD Act also eliminated that. They eliminated a lot of the barriers that doctors used to have to expand uh, in what we call mainstream MAT.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, That that failed my memory, but that's another part of this. So uprofamine and, and suboxone, do you have any idea what drug company actually manufactures those two drugs? I can't
0: give you the name of it right now, but there is
1: specifically some drugs, but it's also available now
0: by uh, uh, a few drug uh, companies uh, in a, the, uh, they call it uh, generic form, okay? So it's not just one manufacturer anymore. Now, the, the actual brand name uh, is still, I think, one primary manufacturer, uh, and I, I, if I could research that really easy, Google it, and and you, and you can find that out. Now, let me tell you again, there have been, look, I was one of the first people that got on Big Pharma's case, okay? So there are, there's this stigma involved. I hate to say it, I created it. I, I don't trust Big Pharma. And there are people out there that say, why should we trust this company with Suboxone? You know, they're making money on this, okay? Now, I do believe if we mainstream this and the government gets involved, we can get the price down. If we have to, we can buy that company out. But, but there is a difference between the Suboxone manufacturer and the Oxycontin manufacturer, okay? They were lying about the addiction potential. They were trying to give anybody who had a toothache or who had a, a sore elbow, they were out there marketing these drugs, and people were dying. People do not die from Suboxone. So this company, and, and people don't get a high from Suboxone. So you're not going to have everybody out there run out and get Suboxone, unless they have an opioid problem. With OxyContin in Purdue, they were trying to create addicts. They were trying to get that drug in the hands of everybody so that they could become addicted, so they could become patients, okay? And they didn't care about those that die. It's a different ballgame with Suboxone, but sometimes that's hard to get across because there's still some people that resent the fact that, wait a second, this company's producing this drug that's supposed to be helping people, how do we know? And they make it a lot of money. Okay, so but it is diversified to some extent. Now, there are numerous companies that are doing it. There'll be some competition. If we start getting more, prices will go down. If the government gets involved, there's a way to keep this regulated. Okay, And again, the drug that they promote to some extent, okay, is not promoted to the general public. It's promoted to people who have opiate use disorder, opioid addiction. Uh, That ain't that ain't the 300 million people out there. They tell me they think it might be like 20 million people that have opioid use disorder. That's what's causing the death. So, yeah, we would like to get this drug out to the 20 million people, okay? Oxycontin wanted to get it out to 300 million people and create addicts. And they did that, and we're still living that. The people that are dying today from fentanyl started
1: with prescription opioids, mainly Oxycontin. So I hope and that yeah and and one thing I'd like to add is I, I was in the hospital in December and every shift of the different nurses that walked in asked me how my pain level was and if I had told them that my pain level was severe they would have given me an opioid they probably they would. They, they all they all wanted to give me tramadol or oxycodone or vicodin or something and I'm like I kept telling them no 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 and they still insisted oh you got to stay ahead of the pain and it gets pretty tiring to know what I know about opioids, to have one nurse after the other trying to emphasize to me to take an opioid. You know, it's like um, it, it's still not stopping on, the, on that level. So they're still well, introducing it to people that may have never had it before. Well, and that's that's where the addiction level is going to start. I'm going to agree and I'm going to
0: sort of disagree with you. And I'm glad you refuse to take it. There's no sense in taking a chance, particularly if you can maybe tolerate the pain or they can give you an alternative that reduces the pain enough. But I will say this, even though we said a lot of people that take opioids get addicted, there are some people, and it's probably a majority of people can take opioids and they don't get quickly addicted. Okay, right? and, and in fact, the stats are, If they only take it for three days or five days or seven days, the majority of people don't get addicted. Now, there's a small percentage that might, okay? But you do have to treat pain. If if somebody goes in for surgery and they severe pain, I'm not totally against the fact that maybe they can get this opioid in a hospital for maybe three days while the pain is very, very severe, but you got to get them off. Now, most hospitals now, although they might have tried to put you on it, they won't keep you on it. Now I'm not saying there aren't some doctors or nurses or or, 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 or some pharmacies a little bit too liberal still. Yes, but it's a great deal less. We're not losing very many people now to prescription opioid uh, uh, addiction. We're not creating as many new addicts, okay? We gotta keep our finger on it, okay? But I don't think until we can come up with a pain medication that has no addictive properties and they're researching and working on that, okay? And maybe one day there'll be a breakthrough. Okay. But until we can, you know, look, I went to my own dentist and got some dental work done and he knew I was the pharmacist. So he said, man, I don't know if I should write you. He was going to write me a prescription to Vicodin. it. It's a kind of mid strength opioid. Okay. And I'm a little paranoid about opioids, but I've also taken them before. And it, it it's never caused any kind of a high with me or any kind of addiction. So I said, you better write it for me. I said, I ain't going to report you. Okay. And so he said, yeah. He said, but I tell you what, he says, when I do write it, I give a three day supply. And, and if they come back and they want a refill, I don't give them a refill. I tell them to go see such and such else. Okay. Because there are people out there who will go to a dentist and get a built to get their prescription opioids. It's crazy what some people will do. Okay. Oh, yeah. I so, don't disagree I, with you. We, we, I will say this too and I'll say this, in some cases, we got too hard on the opioids. And what I mean is, me and you are older, okay? But there are certain people in, in, in like nursing homes and they have uh, diseases or conditions that are, are painful and also eventually will be terminal, okay? And in some cases, You know, if these older people will take it and the doctor watches it real closely and the opioid helps them have a better life, okay, in some cases that actually works. And and, 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 now, if you cut them off of that, okay, it makes their life miserable. Okay, so in some cases, we went a little too hard on that. So there's got to be a balance, okay, but I will say this. I'm glad to hear that you decided not to even, because why take even that chance? You were quite aware. You also probably deal with pain better than some people. Some some people just can't, they don't want to try to make an effort. And one thing the opioid epidemic taught us was you got to tolerate a certain amount of pain. Okay, now I I have to admit, if, if it was so extreme that you couldn't get out of bed, uh, you, you, you you know, th- th- there are circumstances, okay? But th- there are guidelines now uh, that that have caused doctors and there's pressures on doctors and because we put pill mill doctors out of business, okay? Doctors are a lot more cautious now and, and we have a lot less opioids being written. You no. brought us some great questions. You got me the answers to answer some things that otherwise if you would have brought them up.
1: Yeah, well, I, the next thing is let's go back to the doctors that need to get the to get certified so they can do this program. Um, I would think that maybe, first of all, they shouldn't be charged for the eight-hour course that they have to take. Uh, I think that obviously should the government should be giving them that for free. In fact, I actually think that if a doctor isn't there, that they actually should promote them and somehow give them some financial aid to get them to do it. Because you know, that mean uh, it, we can get uh, more people uh, on board. We can uh, get this done faster. Because it's going to save, in the long run, it's going to save the government a tremendous amount of money. Because every time a an ambulance goes out because somebody overdosed on the street or in the bathroom at a CVS pharmacy or something, um, that costs the country a lot of money. And Tony, it's much cheaper Tony, to do that than to, to Tony, pay I, to get I, the doctor I, to do
0: it. You know, I agree with you. Okay, I really do, and, I, and, and, I, and that's something I might add in into my advocacy. Okay, uh, but I will say this I don't think it's gonna be very expensive. You're talking about doctors that are usually fairly high income, it's a nuisance, okay, and an aggravation. And it might some people with principle might say, screw it, okay, uh, but from my understanding, you're talking about eight hours of courses, uh, uh, uh probably done online, if you want the truth. I don't know. Sure,
1: if they can do it on Zoom, it'd be a piece of yeah. cake, you know. I think you're talking about
0: maybe a couple hundred dollars at most. Okay, now, let me tell you the catch on that. I'm sure the makers of Suboxone, okay, would be more than willing to offer this free to doctors because every doctor that actually do this now might write their product. Right. And so, and so what do you do now? Actually, I'd be okay with that. But there are people, people that look at that and say, well, that, that smells funny, okay? Yet remember, this is a different drug. This is a drug for addiction, not, not to give a person a high. This is not a drug. Uh, uh, you know, it, It's a different ball game. So between me and you, I would be all right with it, but I'd be afraid that it would cause a reverse stigma, which might actually hurt the cause. So I, I would prefer the government to pay for it. Okay, or hopefully some of these doctors will see the merit in it and pay for it. But I'm trying to get like this opioid money that's out there. I want to get it directed toward these doctors and the patients to make sure it's zero cost. That opioid money should be able to pay for the doctors to get that license. So so you've given me another idea, okay, uh, that I can add into my advocacy to some kind of way. To get it paid for, and it'd be much better to get it paid for by the opioid money, which is quasi doc quasi government now because the governments are going to get control of this opioid money. And I, in my own state, I've been fighting to make sure it goes where it's supposed to go, and I got a pretty good handle on where it's going to go. So I believe we can get some of that directed to pay for that eight-hour training.
1: Okay. That, that's a great idea. I mean, every state's a little different, In Massachusetts what we're doing is the money is being dished out to the local towns. And so that's,
0: you know, like we have one
1: town with 50,000 people in it and, and you've got 25 to 50 doctors in the town and then you've got another town that's got two doctors. You know, it's, it's, it's the money should be given out to the counties instead of to the local towns. That's one of my biggest gripes. They, they, I got a guy who's running a program in, in, a, in a prison and he runs the prison in the town and the only town that can give him money is the town the prisons in not the county where all the prisoners are coming from and he told me that 80% 80% of his prisoners are there for drug related um, wow. issues and and they're all addicted and he's trying to put programs together so when they get out they go to halfway houses and they do stuff and he can't get and he's can't get the, the kind of money he needs because <laughs> Look, they they also have programs where MAT
0: is definitely available in the jail, and particularly when they leave the jail, because in in the past, when most left the jail, many of them are dying. They go out there again and get back into their habit, but their habit is a lot more dangerous now because of fentanyl and the death ratio. So there have been trial pilot areas where they take in jails now and they release the prisoners with MAT in the life a lot less deaths occur. Now, we we hopefully get MAT in all the prisons, but I am going to tell you, that look, there's a lot of hurdles in this, and I don't have all the answers, and I'm going to be working on this, and it, it's going to be more than me. I'll be long gone when people are working on this, okay? I In my state, the state tried to get control of the money, and they were going to probably put it in a general fund to fix potholes or or, or, or reduce taxes or, or something, okay? And that money should go to the opioid situation. So I was able in my state to make sure that 80% of the money that uh, that was received uh, 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 and supposedly the state sent, spends the, the 20% that they keep, they also supposedly spend it on opioids, but 80% goes to the local communities. Now, let me just tell you now that, though, that, that's the like the parish president or the mayor in the sheriff's office, okay? And they have to, they now are going to be in control of where they distribute the money. So there's still politics involved in this. Okay. Now they are going to have to, in my state, they're going to have to account for where they spend the money. They can't spend it on potholes. They're going to have to show where they spend the money, and it's got to be for the cause something to do with reducing the opioid crisis or education or treatment or such and such. That's how I have it structured in my state. And I think that's how it's gonna be structured in most states, I hope so at least, okay? I can't control the whole country, okay? I, I tried to get involved on a national level, but it's it's not that easy to, uh, you know, I, I gotta worry about my backyard. And I think I got my backyard covered. However, now I still have to work closely with the sheriff, the parish president, and the, uh, the, the local district attorney, the people that are actually going to see where that money goes. And I'm going to try to get as much money that I've already got agreements from them that it's going to go to MAT. So we'll have to see how that works out because the money still isn't flowed here yet. So, so good
1: question. So, so, Dan, before we run out of time, first yes. of all, I, if, if anybody out there has not seen The Pharmacist on Netflix, it's a three-part series. And you've been listening to this man for the past 50 minutes. And if you want to see what he looks like and you want to see what he's done, uh, go to to Netflix and watch The Pharmacist. It's a must-see thing. And one thing I learned from watching The Pharmacist is that you are the most determined guy I have ever met in all the business, all the stuff we've done. You have, like, endless energy. You keep saying you're 72, but you have the energy of a 40-year-old. In fact, some 40-year-olds don't have the energy that you have and the drive and everything. So what... What motivates Dan Schneider to be so driven that you are? And, and we know that some of people don't know uh it was the start of this was from the death of your son. And this to me is one of the things because the same reason why I'm motivated is because of the death of my son. And this is what we do to try to get make sure that there are not so many other useless yeah, we- deaths, you know. But, Absolutely, um, Tony, and look, I appreciate your
0: effort and your work too. Uh, you're a warrior, also, and uh, you're right. We do it on behalf of our children. We don't want to see other people go through what we went through.
1: Okay. Yeah, when you get on that uh, that other side where your child has died, it changes your life forever. And you know, uh, the the grief may somewhat be tampered, but not never gone. Never gone. Amen. And and we and we're trying to get. And there are a lot of people also listening and saying, oh, my kids will never be like that I'll never have to worry about this uh yes you might and there's, you know the opioid epidemic um doesn't care whether you're rich poor famous not famous or uh, what color you are it has nothing to do with it Absolutely. when it comes it comes you know and and uh, but you're like you you like to have end, endless energy you know so I'm, I'm extremely impressed with how you do it Oh, uh, I what, try. I yeah, try, and, and I know you try. Are you doing the? Are you like the the way you talk to us? Are you that up all day? I mean, do you no, have? I hope. No, I hope, I hope no, you...
0: no, no. I get psyched up for this, okay? But, uh, but okay. You know, I, I, I'm trying to do my part, okay. I actually have slowed down a little bit, okay. You, you just about have to, okay. But, but I
1: am not quitting, okay. And I'm trying, okay. So God I hope bless you. you, take... you. I hope you take some time out to uh, to go fishing once in a while. Yes, I agree. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> or at least go listen to some some Cajun music or something, you know, keep it going. We try to so. do that, and
0: I got grandkids, and I got a wife, and we spend that. My wife's in the I back. know.
1: Yeah, She's so. waving to me. I can see that. Tony LaGreca, Hi from Boston. Hi, Tony. Nice to meet you. Hi, Mrs. Schneider. It's a pleasure meeting you. And uh, if I come back down to New Orleans someday, I'm going to, you guys in the city or are you in the parish? We're in the suburbs, but call us. We will connect. So for the past 50 minutes, we've been talking to Dan Schneider, who is the pharmacist, who is the man with relentless energy. And when I knew that you were involved with Matt to begin with, MAT, and you're trying to get this last summer, we had session after session and email after email and Zoom calls that if somebody was ever going to get this thing passed or help get it passed, it was going to be Dan, because um, he just does not give up. He is a bulldog in the, in, in, the, in the advocacy industry, as far as I'm concerned. So, Dan, we want to thank you very much for taking all the time. And this is the courage to hope in this. I'll tell you, you have the courage, and you are definitely giving everybody some hope, especially with MAT, and everybody needs to learn a little bit more about it. And I appreciate your time. And this is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And thank you very much, Dan. Thank you.